but we're still kind of on this last thought that we have been talking about, this aspect of carnality. And we see that here at the end of Romans chapter 7. Um, you see that in verse 14 especially. And I'll read through this once again. Uh, it's a little bit of a tongue twister, so excuse me if I mess it up as I go. Uh, it's a uh, we'll see. <laughs> verse 14, it says, And we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's all of us here in this room. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Do you identify with that? If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, as we complete this chapter this morning, that, Lord, you just give us understanding so that we know how to truly overcome our carnality. Lord, we all battle this particular truth. Uh, the Apostle Paul did, and so do I, and so, do, so does everybody in this room. And I just pray that we'd get something today that would help us understand the victory that we have in Christ and the way that we can live righteously before you. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon this message. If someone's here that is lost, I pray that today they'd be saved. And Lord, if there's someone here in sin that is having problems or doesn't know how to be free, I pray you'd help that one today as well. Lord, we all need you. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at a couple of points. We looked at the confession of the flesh, and that is the law is spiritual. That means it's not just dealing with the physical life. It's dealing with the inner problems. It reveals to you there's an inner issue. Uh, and we know that the the... The, the law given by Moses wasn't meant simply to change your behavior. In fact, we know by the second law, Deuteronomy, it began to say, love the Lord thy God. Now it's dealing with heart issues. And we know that we can't really do right until we love God. Well, then how can I love God? Well, you first need to be saved. Once you're saved, then you can love God. Once you love God, then you can obey his commandments. Amen? So you've got to be born again. That's the first step. So the law is spiritual. But I am carnal. There's our first confession. I hope all of us here today will say, you know what? Uh, I've got a problem here. I am sold under sin in my flesh. There's no good thing in my flesh. Uh, my flesh is my carnality. That's the old man that talks about in the scripture. 
And whether you're saved here for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, it doesn't really matter. That old man is still with you, and you still have to keep your guard up, and you have to allow the Lord to live through your life putting down that old man, that flesh. And so there's the confession. There's also the conflict, and we read through that, how that, you know, the good that I would do, I do not. And so he's saying, you know, I want to do better, but then for some reason I don't do better. So then he creates this duplicity. He says, well, if, there's, if I want to do better and I don't do better, then there must be a duplicity of problems in my life. Sin is pre- present with me, but yet in my mind, I desire to serve the law of Christ. So you're here today, you're born again. Like I said last week, I know that everybody here that is saved, if I were to ask you, do you want to live right? You would say yes. If you're here today, you'd say, no, I don't want to live right. Well, then I'd say you need to be saved, (laughs) you know. But every Christian, no matter what your behavior is, no matter what you're doing, what I know is this, you want to do the right thing. You want it. But how to perform that, I know not. How do I do it, preacher? (laughs) How do I overcome? How do I defeat this carnality that's been that's been in my life, this sin principle that's living with me every day of my life, how do I overcome that? That, my friend, is really the question that we need to ask in this particular passage. We know the problem. We know the conflict. We, we know that we're sold under sin, but then we know we need to know the answer, and that's the champion of the flesh, the champion. We started that last week a little bit. The first thing we talked about is that Your deliverance is inward, not just outward. So if you're going to be changed, it has to be inside here. God doesn't work from the outside in. He works from the inside out. That's why you need to be saved. You need to be born again. Your spirit needs to be made alive. It's called regeneration. It's what people refer to as being born again. When you're born again, your spirit is connected to God. And his life is now placed inside of you. That's where it all begins. That doesn't mean you're better. That doesn't mean you're thinking right. It doesn't even mean you're doing right. But now, what it does, it gives you the potential to think right and the potential to do right when Christ is in you. So I have the Spirit of God. It's made alive. It's the center of my being. It's, it's, it's who, how God wants to work in me. But now there's two other parts of me, and that is my soul and my body. We're called the trichotomy, spirit, soul, body. We're three parts, just like the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, amen? Everything's in threes in God's creation. And so he created us a spirit that needs to be born again. Without that being connected to God, you can't change. I'm sorry, you can pretend, you can kind of control your actions, but nothing has changed on the inside. So if you truly want to overcome your carnality, the, the first step is to be born again is to receive Christ as your Savior, is to allow that spirit to become alive in you so that he can infiltrate your soul and you can change. That's what it's all about. So your deliverance is inward. And that's what he says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The inward man. Um, The second point we looked at is your deliverance is challenged. That means before you were saved, you had an army in your soul. And it was a bad army. It's an army of the flesh, the army of sin. And that army basically was just spoiling you. 
It was just taking everything good out of your life. It had the, basically the rule of the roost, and it did what it wanted to do, and you thought you were in control, but really that army was calling all the shots in your life. But when you got saved, the Spirit of God came in. So now what takes place? Well, the same thing that takes place when you have an army with no opposition, then you bring another army in that is opposed to the principles of this army. You have a war. See, when you get saved, that's when the war begins. <laughs> that's when the challenge is made. Amen. So the first thing you need to understand is in Galatians 5.17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. And that's what creates that duplicity. I want to do right, but then I do the wrong things. You got two battle, you got a battle going on, and it seems like one day I'm winning here, next day I'm winning there, or I'm losing there, whatever it may be, but I don't feel I've got the victory that I need every day of my life. Amen? The right army isn't winning in all my battles. So how does that happen? How do we make that happen? Well, the first thing is, folks, you can't underestimate the enemy. <laughs> the enemy is inside of you. So the enemy isn't your neighbor. The enemy isn't the person sitting beside you. You've got the enemy right inside of you, your flesh. That is the greatest danger to your life, is the flesh in you. The greatest danger. I'm reminded of the last words of General John Sedwick. He uttered while he peered at the enemy during the Civil War battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse in 1864. This is what he said. They couldn't hit an elephant at this dis... <laughs> And that was it. He got shot. You know, you can brag all you want that you're going to overcome this thing, but you cannot under, underestimate that flesh. The, the flesh can hit an elephant at that distance. Amen. And so, folks, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and by the way, that was a real thing. Can you imagine that? I mean, if he had been alive, he would have been really embarrassed, you know, but he didn't make it. 1 Peter 2, 11 Dearly, <laughs> that's going to be one of my memes, isn't it, dear? My, my children, they always take things that I say and they make memes out of it. Getting me in big trouble. First Peter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, ad abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So there's a war going on here. And you've got longings in you that are fighting against your soul. They're fighting against your welfare. They're fighting against the blessing in your life. They're fighting against everything that God wants from you. They're fighting that. And so you need to understand that there is an enemy and you need to abstain or keep yourself from those desires that will bring you, that will feed that wrong army. And we talked about that last week. Remember we talked about the appetites? Let me ask you this. What do you do with a bad appetite? <laughs> a wrong appetite. How do you handle it? You starve. you starve it out. Because if you keep feeding the appetite, what happens? It grows. A lot of people think if, if I feed my appetite, it'll become satisfied. And when it becomes satisfied, it'll go away. Well, it becomes satisfied for a short time, but actually the more you feed it, the stronger the appetite becomes. So next time it comes on stronger. So the only way to overcome your bad appetites in life whether it's whatever it may be, I don't even start listing things as I won't list yours, amen? You know, you got to starve it out. When I quit smoking, it couldn't be I smoked two or three a day. 
Because every time I had a cigarette, I was, I was feeding the appetite. Some bad things, and all bad things, need to be starved. <laughs> You're not going to wean yourself off of sin. You've got to starve it out. But then there's natural appetites. What do you do with them? You're hungry. Like You've got to eat. Amen? So what do you do with that? You discipline yourself. You learn to control that. You only eat what you should. You don't overeat and all these kind of things. So there's, there's natural appetites that you need to have, you need to control and keep them within the proper parameters and the proper boundaries. But now, good appetites. You like reading your Bible? You read your Bible every day? You pray? Now, all I know is this. If you don't read your Bible and you don't pray, I know you want to. I know you want to. And I know you beat yourself up over and over and over again that you didn't read your Bible the way you ought to and you didn't pray the way you ought to because you're a Christian and Christ is in you. So how do I overcome that carnality? How do I overcome this? You need to start feeding it. See, what the devil does, he likes you to think that if you don't have a desire to do it, then somehow it's just no hope. He likes to bring that no hope mentality into your mind. But when you start realizing, I'm not really going to start liking my Bible until I actually start doing it. So I'm going to start reading a little bit every day. I'm going to read maybe a chapter or maybe a verse or two verses. I don't care what it is. Just start reading the Bible. Amen. When you start reading it, it feeds the appetite. And then you'll read it some more. And then you'll read it some more. And you'll keep reading it. And so you've got to keep feeding the good things. Starve out the bad things. Discipline the natural things. And you will be a balanced Christian. Amen. Very important. So moving on from that. We need to understand that your deliverance must be in Jesus Christ alone. Now, folks, the world has got all kinds of options for you. And the devil would love for you to glorify somebody out there for your victory. He doesn't want you to glorify Jesus Christ. He doesn't want Jesus to get the glory. He doesn't want him to be the one that's going to be the one that delivers you. But one thing you need to understand, just like the Apostle Paul says, <laughs> O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That was his answer. I thank God for that self-help book. I thank God for that psychiatrist. I thank God for this guy or that guy. No, sir. It's got to come down to Jesus Christ. He has got to be the one in your life. He's got to be the one at the end where you say, I'll tell you why I made it through. Yeah. I thank God that through Jesus Christ, don't you think the Father wants you to brag on His Son? Hey. He's not interested in you bragging on anybody else. And by the way, there's nobody else worth bragging on. Hey. Nobody. I'm not worth bragging on. You're not worth bragging on. We've got to brag on the Lord Jesus Christ for our deliverance. Amen. You got problems? <laughs> Don't brag on, well, I really took the bull by the horns. I really just stirred up my willpower and I got it done. Now, I've met lost people that stopped drinking. <laughs> but they didn't thank Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's because they're not really delivered yet. You can't be delivered without Christ. I mean, folks, I don't want to live my life always battling with the same thing every day of my life. Deliverance means you are delivered. Amen? 
I can move on with life. I don't got to keep battling that same thing over and over every day of my life and keep that at the top of my mind. Now, in the flesh, you can stop doing some things, but it's always there. But with Jesus Christ, it doesn't have to be always there. You can move on and fill your mind and heart full of other things that are way beyond those sins of the past, you know. And every now and then, you may also think about, boy, I remember what I used to do. And it's, it's really a walk of shame for you. You know that. And you know what it should do every time you remember it? Look up and say, I thank you, Jesus. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. It, it's not just, oh, I'm so bad. I was so bad. No, no. <laughs> that's, that's self-centeredness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for delivering me. Now, I wish that maybe it would be great to just wipe out all my bad things I've done in the past where I never have to remember them ever again. The day's coming. <laughs> but for now, he leaves me with that. For now, there's some storage in there. Every now and then... It just kind of comes to the surface. And my response ought to be, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. That's where I got my deliverance from. I'm not going to brag on anybody else but him. Amen. So it's got to be Christ. So the first thing you need to see your own wretchedness. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Wretched means suffering or afflicted, miserable, Poor, helpless, pitiable. <laughs> Say, Lord, I'm pathetic. I ought to be pitied for where I am. I'm a wretched man. Have you ever gotten to that place in your life where you see yourself as wretched? The Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived other than Jesus Christ himself. Now, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but all I know is that this great Christian said, oh, wretched man that I am. See, you think the, the more you get involved in Christianity, the more you go to church, the more you'll think how great you are. No, sir. The more light that you get into your life, the, the brighter that light gets, the deeper you see your weakness and your wretchedness. And you ought to become more humble before God as the days go by. That's why pride is such a terrible statement of your spirituality. Well, you've got to get the credit. I've got to be, well, I did this, I did that. Folks, you need to let that light shine in your soul a little bit. Oh, wretched man that I am. Amen. Can you really honestly say that about yourself? That's the beginning of your deliverance. You can't be delivered until you realize I've got nothing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be comforted, or they shall see God. Amen. You've got to realize that I have nothing in me. <laughs> Poverty, poor in spirit. The next one is, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. So when I see my poverty and I see my wretchedness, now I mourn over that. I say, Lord, what can I do? Anybody know the next one? Blessed are the meek. What is that? Blessed are the meek. See, that's a transfer of power. See, when you see that you've become so poor in your spirit and there's nothing in you, and then you begin to mourn over that and you say, how can I, how can I overcome this? That's when you look, look up and say, Lord, what, I submit to you. And I'm going to submit to whatever you have for my life. What's number four? 
Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's no hunger at first. It only comes after mourning. It only comes after a, a meek heart and a meek attitude. And then all of a sudden the Lord fills you up. Amen. That's the pinnacle. That's the tip of the pyramid. You know that, right? <laughs> In fact, the Lord, right before he went on the, he was talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he was, the Beatitudes, the, his last statement was, repent, <coughs> repent. Then he said, blessed are they that are poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. He's showing you what repentance is. Boy, these people that say, oh, those gospels, they have nothing to do with Christianity. They have everything to do with Christianity because Christ's the one that said them. That's our Christianity, by the way. It's Christ. And he told you what he needed. He says, you first got to realize you're poor and then you got to mourn over that and then you got to transfer that power back to me and then you got to hunger it from me and I will give you your righteousness. Amen. That is the pinnacle. That's the tip of the pyramid. And then the rest of them are about the other side on the way down. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. Those are all, all having to do with people. The first half has to do with God. The second half has to do with people. Amen? You want to serve people, you have to first climb that pyramid. Blessed are they, the last one is, blessed are they which are persecuted. You think you'll die for Jesus? You think you'll suffer for Jesus? Not if you think you're something. Poor in spirit, mourning. Oh, wretched man that I am. Amen. Second thing is, you got to, first you got to uh, see your own wretchedness, but then you got to, number two is thank God. I thank God, he says. Now, there's a lot staying in that statement, I thank God. Are you truly thankful to God for Jesus Christ? Are you thankful? Are you thankful that there is a solution in your life? See, the Apostle Paul, he's not just throwing a couple of words in there for poetical sake here. He's saying, I thank God. See, folks, do you truly thank God for what he did in sending your solution to you? Sending his son to die on the cross for you? Do you thank him for that? If you're not thankful for what he did, how can you ever be delivered from the carnality that's within you? We're not thankful many times because we don't see the need for a solution. Well, I'm doing okay. I'm not so bad. Well, when you start talking like that, you're not a thankful person because how could you be thankful if you're the one with the answers? How could you be thankful if you're the one that always seems to know what to do? You're the one that is okay. Everybody is worse than you. You go home Sunday afternoon, you talk about all the bad people in your life and don't realize that you are the worst person that you know. That's where you begin. This isn't about self-deprecating yourself. This isn't about uh, condemning yourself. This is about getting to the reality of the fact that there is no good in you and that if you want to get over this, you have to thank God that he sent his son to deliver you and that we're all on the same page. I think it was Paul Chapel that said uh, many times we're, it, it's like dirt criticizing dirt for being dirt. That's what we do when we criticize people. 
You're just criticizing them for being what you are. <laughs> Amen. Think about it for a second. Really, it's just a statement of your ungratefulness. It's a statement of you thinking you have the solution. It's a statement that you think that you're not as wretched as the person beside you, and yet you are. All I know is if the Apostle Paul could say, oh, wretched man that I am, then I have to be wretched too. The third point is this. You must choose to renovate your mind. This is the key. Look at verse number 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, he's not making an excuse here. He's not saying, oh, well, when I do wrong, I'm just going to blame the flesh. Because that's the wrong one here. They're the bad guy. And so if I do something wrong, hey, it's not me. It's the flesh. That's not what he's saying. He's making a statement here. He's saying, I want you to understand your makeup. That your flesh will always serve the law of sin. And if I'm going to overcome this, I need to realize that my success in this is going to be what I do with my mind. For with my mind, I serve the law of God. So if something's going to happen here, it's going to start right up in my mind. That's where it begins. Because it's not going to start in my flesh. It's not going to reform itself. <laughs> Your flesh isn't going to get better. <laughs> you know, Oh, the longer I'm saved, my flesh has just learned to be good. No, it has not. It is just as wicked and vile as it was the day that you got saved or the day before you were saved. And it will be just as wicked and vile as the day right before or the moment just before Jesus breaks through the clouds and he takes you up into heaven. See, that flesh is not redeemable. That flesh is not reformable. You cannot make it better. All you can do is overcome it with this in your mind. See, that's why God has to start on the inward, <laughs> not on the outward. Many times you're saying, if God would just change these things around me, and folks, and I'm all for uh, having standards in your life and keeping yourself, you, you, you can't pretend like you're strong enough to overcome all these things in the world and you can put yourself in the middle of it. That's what happened with that general. <laughs> and he found out, yeah, they can't shoot that far. So you got to remember that, folks. You've got to choose to renovate your mind. And it says, so then with a the mind, I myself serve the law of God. Serving is to be in a position of a servant and act accordingly, to be subject or to serve in subjection or bondage. So you can live as a slave to your flesh, or with a mind, you can serve the Lord. This is where it all begins. That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we get back to our theme here. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word renewing means renovate. It's taking an old building, gutting it out, and putting in new parts to it. New, new wood, new rug, new windows, new everything. Amen? That's a renovation. And how many times, folks, have you ever done renovations? What's easier, building a new house or renovating an old house? Building a new one. But you don't have that option. You need to renovate the old. 
So it's not going to be easy. Not everything's going to line up. <laughs> Amen. Not everything's going to be level. So it's going to take some work to allow the Lord to change you the way that he wants to change you. So renew means to renovate. So many people complain about their homes, but they're never willing to put the effort into renovation. Oh, yeah, this house. <laughs> well, you can complain about it, but it's not going to renovate it. To renovate it, you actually say, okay, we're going to start ripping down this wall today, and we're going to start ripping it, and you keep at it. And whenever you do a renovation, you keep at it. Sooner or later, it's going to look the way you want it to look. Not overnight, amen? Not, not starting from scratch and new, but you're renovating an old mind, amen? You're taking, folks, you've got billions and billions of brain cells. Every one of those cells contains information. And as you spend time with God, as you spend time in the Word of God, as you listen to the preaching of the Word of God, truth is coming at you like a dart, like a missile. <laughs> You're saying, I'm going to take this and allow it to enter into that brain cell. I'm going to eject the old thing. I'm going to put in the new thing. And that's a lifelong process. It's a renovation. Amen? So you need to renovate your mind according to the mind of Christ. That's the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So how do I do this thing? How do I know what I'm building here? What's my plan? What's my blueprint? The mind of Christ. I thank God that through the Lord Jesus Christ, he has become my blueprint. He's become my pattern. He's become the one that I allow my mind to be fashioned over. Amen? Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, that, my friend, is the key to your Christian life. You need to live your life by the faith of the Son of God. Not your faith. You know what your faith is when you talk to your family and your friends? Well, I just believe this. Well, I just think this. Well, I just believe this. Well, I don't know what they're doing, but this is what I believe. <laughs> Folks, that's your faith. And you've lived your whole life by your faith, and your faith can produce absolutely nothing. It's Christ's faith. You want God to do something in your life, you have to live by his faith. It isn't like, this is what I believe, this is what Jesus said. That's how you live your life. So many times we think we've won an argument because we've convinced them what I believe. <laughs> And you're so off. You're not renovated. You want to have your mind renovated, you've got to start saying, this is what Jesus said. This is what the Bible said. I know it's hard and, and <laughs> wow, it's difficult, but you know what? This is what it says. And don't let your emotions get in there. Don't let your reasoning get in there. Don't let any of those things supersede the, the power of the word of God in your life. You just have to see it for what it is Say, yes, this is what it is. This is the truth. And this needs to be what gets put into that brain cell in my mind. Amen? 
and I renounce the old thing. I renounce that old business. <laughs> but re having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. Amen? Because when you just want to do what you believe, you've got to do some pretty big spiritual gymnastics around this book. That's handling the word of God deceitfully. You need to go to this book and say, you know what, this is what it says. This is what I believe. <laughs> you got to be careful about trying to read between the lines of the Bible. <laughs> now, sometimes preachers are the worst for that. They can get things out of Scripture and saying, where in the world did you see that? You know what I like? Just getting into the text and just telling you what the Bible says. I could spend my whole life just telling you what the Bible says. I don't need to go between the lines. I don't need to come up with something new. I'm just going to continue to tell you this is what the Bible says. And I'll tell you, that's what's going to change you. That's what's going to change your mind. Not these obscure things that, oh, that's neat, preacher. Amen. Wow. Boy, that's interesting. But it doesn't change you. You need the Word of God. You need the true, unadulterated Word of God. You need to allow that scripture to permeate your mind. Folks, you want to overcome that, 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 that carnality in your life? You have to have the pattern of the word of God. The living word, which is Christ, and the written word, which is his words to you. Amen? And enough of this stuff that you don't have God's word. You have it right in front of you. Amen. Well, I don't know. We don't have a perfect Bible. <laughs> If you don't got a perfect Bible, you don't have a perfect Savior. If you don't have a perfect written word, how can you have a perfect living word? Why in the world would he say I'm the living word if he can't tell us accurately what that means in the written word? Amen? We do have every word of God. And it's only as you believe that that your mind is going to be transformed. And that's why we're, what's wrong with Christianity today. We don't even believe what the Bible says anymore. We'll put on a rock show, put on the smoke show, and somehow we're having church. No, my friend, it is getting back to this book. Amen. That's how you're going to be changed. Amen. I was telling someone before the service how the Lord is bringing people to this church. And there's people that are here from our, that have come from different churches. They're not all Baptists. <laughs> but there's one common thing that each one of them have. They're sick and tired of not hearing God's words. Yes. They simply want to hear, thus saith the Lord. They don't want to hear the Reader's Digest version. They don't want to hear how the preacher's day has gone. They want to hear what God has said because they know how much they need it. Every day is dependent upon that. They know their family needs it. They know their children need it. They're saying, please, God, give me a church where you open up the Word of God and I can just simply get what you want me to know. Amen. 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 That's how you get your mind renewed. That's how you overcome your carnality. You got to renovate your thinking, renovate your mind. Renew your mind, this is an interesting verse, in your spirit. In Ephesians 4.22, it says this, that you put off concerning, concerning the former conversation, the old man. So whatever you were before you were saved, that old fleshly man that did fleshly things and longed for fleshly things and just wanted to get up in the morning and do those fleshly things, the Bible says you need to put that off. The first step, I need to get rid of this, God. 
I want a new life. The word conversation there means a lifestyle. Folks, if you want to get saved and live the same lifestyle, then you don't want my Jesus. Because when he comes in, you change. You'll become different. And it says, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. And be renewed or renovated in the spirit of your mind. So we know we have a mind, but now he says, you got to let your, the spirit of your mind be renovated. The spirit. And this is what I was telling you before, that your mind on its own, just by reading books, just by accumulation, accumulating knowledge is not going to do it for you. You have to become spiritual. You have to have a live spirit in you. See, the Holy Spirit is in you, but you know, you also have a spirit. And your spirit isn't the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit wants to indwell your spirit and allow his power and the fruit of him permeate through that spirit. But you can have a bad spirit. And you guys have had that, haven't you? You ever got up in the morning, sourpuss? That's your spirit. You know why that is, right? That's because you didn't renew your spirit that morning. You ever gone through a week where you just had a, I'm going to go to bed week? Some people go through years like that. And the Lord just says, you need to renew your spirit. Even David said after he repented of that sin, a grievous sin that he committed against the Lord. He says, renew in me a right spirit. Your spirit is very important. The Bible says that we ought to uh, set our light upon a hill. That everybody can see it. It says that they may behold your good works. See, your, your light is your spirit. So when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, he's saying, if you allow my Holy Spirit to have complete control of your heart and attitude, you'll be a, like, like a light to those around you. And so you can say, well, I'm going to do Christian things, and I'm going to go soul winning, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to do this, I'm going to give in the offering, and all these things. But that doesn't mean you got the right spirit. And I've seen people come to church, and you know what? They did all those things that are expected of them in the outward, but the inward is not right. They're sitting there like this. They're skeptical. They're critical. Every time the preacher says something that they don't like, <laughs> somebody in the church gets something that they don't have. Something wrong with your spirit. And the Bible says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's so important, folks. Your spirit is your attitude. Someone once says that your attitude would determine your altitude. <laughs> And how true it is. How true it is. So you can pretend like you're religious as all get out. <laughs> that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the Lord's going to use you. And you know what? You don't even have to know, you know, uh, I know you're trying to read the Bible and learning the Bible. It doesn't mean you have to memorize the whole Bible and know the whole Bible. But if you have a right spirit, <laughs> that little Bible that you know and you're beginning to know, God will use that to its fullest extent. And so you can have somebody that knows a lot of the Bible with a bad spirit. God says, I can't use you. You can have someone with a good spirit that knows a little bit of Bible. He says, I'm going to use you mightily. 
powerful. Your spirit, your attitude will determine your altitude. So when you get up in the morning, you make sure you check that spirit. When you go to bed at night, you're going to carry all those things from work and that this is the way that guy treated me and I don't know why he got that promotion. Why did he get that raise? I deserve that raise. That's a spiritual problem. That's in your spirit. The Lord doesn't want you to have that kind of spirit. He wants you to have a spirit where you're grateful. He wants you to have a spirit that even though you lost the promotion and someone else got the, 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 the raise, that you'll look at that and say, Lord, there's a reason that you didn't let me have that raise. And it's okay. See, that's the spirit. That's the spirit behind your Christianity. Spirit has a lot to do with your meekness too. Your meekness is you're willing to take a situation. I was thinking about the meekness during COVID. <laughs> COVID, you had all these powers that were working against you and you figure, well, man, are they trying to control my life? And it's, it's kind of like you're thinking everything's just going to go to pot here. It's all going to just be bad. But then realizing that no matter what they do out there, my God is in control. Amen. Say, Lord, if they want to do this, they want to treat me like that. They want to allow these things. Help me to trust you through this. Because I know all these bad things around me somehow are going to be good for me. So I'm willing to take it. That's the spirit of the mind. Amen? What is it going to help for you to get facts and truth in your mind if you don't have the spirit to put it on that, light, on that lampstand? That people can see it. Behold your Father which is in heaven. Glorify Him. Amen. It's not just about reading your Bible. It's about allowing your Bible to possess your heart. And it's allowing the mind of Christ and His Spirit to control what your spirit is like. Renew it. You've got to control your mind by taking your thoughts captive. Folks, there's nobody... <laughs> I've talked to so many people, and I get them into my office. Pastor, I just can't control this. And I got this problem. I says, okay, what's your strategy? What do you mean? <laughs> what's happening is I, I say this all the time. You're like a soldier going onto the battlefield with no helmet, facing the wrong side without a gun. And you don't even know who your enemy is. So when the preacher asks you what your strategy is, that means who's your enemy? How are you... How are you handling the thoughts that are coming into your mind? Well, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. We're good at imagining, because we know why that person is looking at us that way. We know why the preacher said that in his poem. Did you, were you aiming at me, preacher? Imaginations. Was that I say in the morning? I think it was a Sunday school. Casting down computings. The stuff that you come up with. Oh, I know, I know. You know nothing. I remember one time as a preaching, there was a guy on the back, and he was just sitting there. It was, it was in my first ministry. We had all kinds of spiritual issues back then with people coming in and really wild stuff. But he would sit there. He was just making faces, and I thought, man, this guy hates me. 
and I was just really battling in my spirit when I'm preaching this message, and this guy is just so visibly disgusted. But after the service, I went up to him, and he said, I got a terrible stomach ache. Your computings. Like this. That's the computings. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Every high thing. That's why the Lord said he, he wanted them to tear down the high places. There are no places that are high like that around here. You tear down those high places. You tear down those high thoughts that, are, that you're raising above the very words of God. Those are your idols. That's why I say, you don't say, I believe. I, I believe this. Well, I don't know what they're doing, but I believe that. <laughs> well, that I believe just may be your idol. You better tear that down. It doesn't matter what you believe. What you believe doesn't make the truth. There is a body of truth out there that exists whether you believe it or not. Amen. You have to submit and yield yourself. And whether that truth hurts, whatever it does to me, Lord, I'm willing to accept it. So then your belief joins with his belief. Then it becomes powerful to you. Your faith is a way that God can work in your life, but it has no power unless it's connected to his faith. Amen. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it is. See, folks, we've got to learn to catch our thoughts as we're thinking them. And as we're sitting there at the dinner table or whatever, sitting on the couch or lying in the bed, and when all those thoughts come, we need to say, okay, <laughs> am I thinking right here? Are these thoughts pleasing to God? Is this according to truth, or is this just me computing again? And the Bible says, take them captive. I'll tell you what, if you have problems with certain thoughts in your life, you need to say, Lord, could you please take these thoughts captive? And then get some Bible verse in there and start meditating on the scripture. That's how you renovate your mind. Otherwise, the devil's going to take advantage of you and he's going to shoot his fiery darts at you, and you're not going to lift, lift up the shield of faith, and those fiery darts are going to engulf your mind. You ever had that where you started off with a little thought, and by the next day or by that evening, you're just all, yeah, well, that's a satanic attack. He threw a fiery dart at you, and that fiery dart caught, caught fire in your mind, where you could have just taken the shield of faith, and it would have hit the scriptures. And it would have died. So you need to take these thoughts captive. And it says, every thought to the obedience of Christ. He is once again the reason why I'm going to win this thing. He has set the example. He's given me how I overcome this thing, how I think, how I act. My thought, i got to say, is this what Jesus would want me to think? Is this from him? You say, no, this is what he would do. And a verse comes to your mind, and that's the verse you need to meditate on. Amen? That's strategy. That's going onto the battlefield with your helmet of salvation on. That's going into the battlefield with this shield of faith. Uh, above all, taking the shield of faith. 
being ready for the war that you're in because you are in one if you are saved. Amen? Having in readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That means you have to desire to be right. I desire to be obedient, Lord. If you don't desire that, you're not going to (laughs) win. But you have to want to be obedient. Is it a, a burden of your soul to be obedient to the Lord? Is that what you want because you love Him? He's saying, if you love me and you want to be obedient, I'm going to give you the weaponry and the tools that you need to overcome every bad thought in your life. And I'll renew you. I'll renovate you. Amen? See, because you serve the law of God with your mind. If you're not going to let him renovate this, how are you going to serve him? And that's why many Christians never go forward. They blame that person why I can't serve in the church. They blame this person. This is why I'm not being chosen for that. No, my friend. If you're not being used, it's because of your mind. It's your mind. Amen. There's not a pastor or leader in this world that is worth anything that would put somebody in a place of influence that wasn't right with God. You understand that? Be right with God. Let the Lord renovate. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're allowing him to change you, and people can see that, and they know there's weaknesses, but it's okay because they know you're facing the right direction and you're moving towards that. Amen? Equip your mind. I'm going to give you one more. We'll be done, and that's Philippians 2.5. Humble your mind to think lowly of yourself before God. Jesus Christ Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. People come to the preacher and say, Preacher, I want to serve the Lord. I'll say, okay, here's the toilet brush. Well, I was thinking more of teaching and preaching and here's the toilet brush. Well, I don't want to do that. That's not the mind of Christ. The Bible says that when Jesus came, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That means he wasn't saying, oh, I'm not equal. I better just go down there. No, he's saying, I am God. (laughs) And yet he came and humbled himself and took upon him the form of a man like you, which was far lower than he was. But not just that, He says, I'm going to become a servant. (laughs) That's even a lower form of man. Then not only that, when he was with his disciples, he said, let me wash your feet. He took the lowest position of a servant in the home. Who was the foot washer? It was the noob. It was the guy that just started. Hey, man, you're just started. You're washing the stinky feet. Jesus says, I'm going to leave my place here. I'm going to come down to there. Then I'm going to come down to there. Then I'm going to show you that I'm going to come way down to there. Then ultimately, I'm going to show you that I've become obedient unto death. I want to serve the Lord, preacher. Here's the toilet brush. 
I've never cleaned a toilet. Really? I'm not visiting your house. <laughs> you get it? See, renovating your mind, spirit of your mind. And by the way, the Bible says, humble yourself under the hand of the Almighty. See, he doesn't want you to run around to everybody and say, look how humble I am. In fact, they don't need to know that. They'll see it, but they don't need to know it. The only one that the Bible says that you're supposed to humble yourself before is before the Lord. That means when you get in his presence, with nobody else to impress but you and God, say, Lord, I don't know why you'd use me. I don't have anything valuable. I hope you've had prayers like that. I hope you come before your God and, and just really become real with him. <laughs> say, Lord, I'm no good. I'm surprised you even use me the way you do, but Lord, I'm so glad you do. And I just want to let you know that my life is yours. Even if I'm just an empty shell of a person, I've got nothing to offer, please, God, take what I have. Use me. And he'll look at me and say, here's a toilet brush. And because I'm humble before my God, I say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You understand that? We want to we overcome our carnality. You know what your carnality is? Nobody can tell me what to do. That's the epitome of carnality. Oh, we'll get someone less important to do that. That's carnality. That ought never be in the house of God. And I'll guarantee you this, that if you got up in the morning before your Lord and you saw yourself for who you were and you communicated that to him, you wouldn't come to church saying, they're worse than me. Say, Lord, I'm just so grateful that I've got an opportunity to preach this word today. I'm so grateful I can sit in this chair with God's people today. I'm just so grateful that I got friends when I don't deserve a friend. But some of you, man, thumb suckers, nobody loves me. Thank God you have what you have. Get that thumb out of your mouth. Get on your knees before God and admit how low you really are. And you'll never have a problem with that thumb in your mouth again. Because everything on this side of hell will become grace to you. Everything. Just the fact that you can get up in the morning and you can even open your Bible will be grace to you. Just the fact that you can go with the people of God and sit next to these people. There won't be this, oh, who does he think he is? You'll say, man, I want to I learn something from this person. I'm going to learn from their strengths. Amen? Not this condemning attitude. Oh, no, when we have the mind of Christ, it's different. Who be in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but humble themselves and made himself into the likeness of men, stepping down. The only person that deserved a reputation wouldn't even talk about his reputation. How many times do you talk about your reputation? Well, I'll tell you, this is what I've done. This is where I come from. I mean, <laughs> reputation, reputation. It's interesting today, you see people attacking Jesus Christ 
I hear it through mostly Islam, where they're attacking the Bible and they say, oh, if Jesus is God, why didn't he admit it? <laughs> well, number one, he did admit it in many ways in the scripture. But the reason why he didn't go around saying, I'm God, I'm God, because he came of no reputation. He let his life speak for who he was. That's the whole spirit of the scripture. So don't fall for that garbage, guys. Don't fall for it. If that's a God that has to run around saying, I'm God, I'm God, and now you got to listen to me because I'm God on earth like he was, imagine that if he would have walked around like that. Then I'd wonder, there's something wrong with his spirit. But that's not the way he came. Folks, he came as a lamb led to the slaughter for you. Amen. You want to overcome your carnality? Change your mind. The spirit of your mind after the pattern of Christ.